0: Welcome to this week's message from a new church. For more information, or if you'd like to contact us, please visit our website, newchurch.nz. Thanks for tuning in and we hope you enjoy this message. The old is gone and the new has come. Amen? We believe that this morning with New Church? Half of you believe that. Do we believe that this morning? You know, we're called to live out of that reality. When we come to Christ, He changes our identity. So we are no longer sinners, we're now saints. We might still struggle with sin. Anyone? Yeah, We still struggle with it. It's still an issue. It's still a problem for us. And you know, we're gonna continue to struggle with sin and we will probably do so until the day that either we die or in the day that Jesus returns. But part of our job now is to bring these broken areas of our life to the cross, to Christ. And when we bring those areas to Him, He forgives us, He heals us, He strengthens us, and He makes that which was once our downfall into our victory. And, uh, you know, so there's certain things that if we allow them to stay in our life, they're going to continue to ankle tap our future and our potential. And one of these things, and this is what I want to talk about this morning, is insecurity. Everyone say insecurity. You know, it's been incredible, hasn't it, as we look at our world, the rise in stress and anxiety that is going on, partly due to COVID and partly just with the the full onness of the world that we're living in at the moment. You know, it's, it's, it's massively increasing. And some of these things can be traced to a root cause of insecurity that's going on in our life. And so I wanna share this morning some keys to finding our security, first in our relationship with God, and then secondly from that in our relationship with other people. Does that sound good this morning? I had this funny thing that happened uh, last, it was actually last Sunday night, and uh, Anika had put on a daughter's night. So that's the woman's ministry of our church. And she put on this daughter's night, which was a movie night, And so the idea was that all the ladies could come along, they could all dress up in their pajamas, and so they did. They all rocked up in their onesies and their pajamas and everything like that, and uh, they watched this movie together, all down the front with their popcorn and stuff, and they watched The Blind Side. Who likes that movie? It's a great movie. If you haven't seen it, you should. And um, anyway, so uh, I'm there, and the only reason I'm there, me and another guy are there for security, because you look at me, man, you're scared, right? (laughs) I mean, this says security, does it not? And, uh, you know, I feel like the ladies just felt like just that much more secure when I was around. (laughs) Totally, man. I'll I'll take him on for you. Anyway, what happened was uh, we kicked the movie off. The lights went down. All the ladies are at the front. They're all seated. And me and and another guy are sitting at the back of the church. And we're starting to watch this movie. And I don't quite know how it happened because I didn't see this guy until the the last moment. But this quite big guy walks in and he plants himself and he sits down at the back of the church. And I'm like looking at him and thinking, what are you doing here? This is a woman's movie night. You are clearly not a woman. And I'm looking at him, you know, and so anyway, the movie's going and, and I'm like, I'm weighing it up and I'm like, you know what, I'm, I think what I'll do is I'm just going to wait to the end. I don't want to make a scene or anything in the middle of the movie. I don't want to ruin it. But I'm also aware that there's all of these ladies there in their pajamas who are probably not going to feel particularly comfortable about, I mean, they're probably all freaking out because I'm there anyway. But you know they you know the pastors seeing me in my pajamas. I mean, golly, we all wear pajamas, all onesies. Anyway, the um, so I'm watching this guy all night, and I'm thinking, okay, at the end of the night, I'm gonna go, I'm gonna make a beeline for him and talk to him. So anyway, we're trying to watch the movie, and, and the night unfolds. We're getting towards the end of the night, and uh, and I, I I'm finding it hard to watch the movie because I'm watching this guy all night. What's he doing? What's he up to? Anyway, finally, we come into the very last part of the movie, so I stand up, and I go to turn the lights up in the house, and basically turn the, turn, you know, finish the movie up. So we go and do that, and we bring the lights up in the house, and there's a moment of realization for this man. Like, I see him sitting there, and the lights go up, and I see him look around, and this look of horror <laughs> comes on his face, as he realizes the place is full of women in their pajamas. And I'm looking at him, and he, and he looks around, and he, he looks at me, and he comes up to me at the sound desk, and he goes, is this a church service? <laughs> and I felt so bad at that moment, man, because literally he'd walked in, and he'd seen me and the other guy sitting at the back, so he thought, oh, you know, obviously it's a church service. So he'd come, and he'd sat down, like, oh, okay, obviously they're watching a movie. Oh, wow, they're going to watch the whole movie. Oh, interesting, you know, but no clue until the lights came up at the end. I just felt my heart went out for him. I saw this guy, that moment of realisation, where he suddenly realises he's sitting there in a room full of women in their pyjamas. And so I'm talking hard out to him and I'm like, oh man, I'm so sorry. No, 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 it's not a church service, but we do have church services, blah, blah, blah. He was not interested, man. He was out that door so fast. We will never see that man again in our church, I tell you. We've lost him. He's gone, gone for all of eternity. But, you know, I, I totally got the wrong end of the stick because I'm sitting there all night judging him, you know, and I, my perception of why he's there and what he's up to couldn't have been more wrong. It could have been me. It could have been you. It could have been any of us, right? And here in 2 Samuel chapter 10, there's this amazing thing that happens, you know, and this is uh, back when David is king, and uh, there was another guy called Nahash who was king of the Ammonites, and he died. And so and here in 2 Samuel chapter 10, Verse one, it says this, in the course of time, the king of the Ammonites died and his son Hanan succeeded him as king. And David thought, I will show kindness to Hanan, son of Nahash, just as his father showed kindness to me. So David sent a delegation to express sympathy to Hanan concerning his father. So he's like, man, I feel really bad for this guy. His dad's died. From the nation of Israel, we're going to send a delegation just to express our sympathy and our sorrow for what's taken place. So when David's men came to the land of the Ammonites. The Ammonite commander said to Hanan, their Lord, do you think that David is honoring your father by sending envoys to you to express sympathy? Hasn't he sent them instead only to explore the city and spy it out and overthrow it? And so Hanan believes these guys and he sees David's envoys, shaved off each of half man's beard, cut off their garments at the buttocks, don't you love the Bible? (laughs) And sent them away. And when David was told about this, he sent messengers to the men because they were greatly humiliated. And the king said, look, stay at Jericho till your beards have grown and then come back. And then when the Ammonites realised that they'd become obnoxious to David, they hired 20,000 Aramean foot soldiers from Beth, Rohab and Zobah, as well as the king of Markar with 1,000 men and also 12,000 men from Tob. And on hearing this, David sends out Joab with the entire army of fighting men. I mean, talk about a situation that has escalated. <laughs> Have you ever done that in life? You just tried to be nice to someone? You tried to just do something out of the kindness of your heart and the thing just blew up beyond all comprehension? I mean, here's David. He's just like, man, I feel bad for this guy. I'm just gonna send him, you know, just some, some sympathy with these guys. And all of a sudden, he's got like all out war now, right on his, and I'm sure David's sitting there going, man, how did this happen? I was just, you know. And, you know, the interesting thing is that Hanan totally gets the wrong end of the stick. He thinks that David is spying on him. He humiliates the delegation. He decides to attack David. And the reality is that insecurity was the major factor in this story. And when you're insecure, you lose the ability to be able to interpret other people's actions correctly. You start to think that there's a hidden reason behind why everyone else is doing what everyone else has done. You know, Your response starts getting based not on actually what they're saying or doing, but what you think they're saying and doing, actually. And you know, maybe we've been on the receiving end of this one, but I wonder how often our own insecurities have blown situations up around our lives too. And I wanna just quickly this morning just share five keys on overcoming insecurity in your life because friends, if we don't take responsibility in this area, if we don't grow in this area, we're gonna find ourselves trapped in cyclical patterns of relationships breaking down. We are going to find ourselves continually in places of conflict. And it's going to ankle tap the call and the destiny that God has in our life. We have got to sort out our security issues. We have got to do it. As people of God, man, we've got to sort this area of our life out. And I believe this is going to be helpful. Maybe this is an area that you struggle with. And, you know, God wants to strengthen you today. So here's my five things this morning to strengthen, to to overcome insecurity In your life, number one is this: fully embrace God's declaration. Fully embrace God's declaration. In Hebrews chapter six, the writer talks about the promise that God gave Abraham, and he finishes off with this, and he says, "We have this hope as an anchor for the soul, firm and secure." He, you know, Abraham was a rich guy. He was an influential guy. He was a powerful guy. But his security didn't come from any of those things. Abraham's security came from the fact that he had a relationship with God. And when God said something, Abraham believed it. And that provided the security for him in his life. And the writer of Hebrews says, you know what? In the same way that that did it for Abraham, it's the same thing for us. Our primary security comes from believing and agreeing with what God says over our life. You know, uh, my stepfather's got a great boat and we often go out and explore the islands around the Hauraki Gulf and and I, I love that. But you know, when we when we go to bring the boat in, you know, we have to anchor it. If we don't anchor the boat and we go swim in, we're gonna come back. The boat won't be there anymore. You've gotta you've gotta securely attach that thing. You've got to put the anchor down and that holds it in place. And you know what? When that anchor is holding the boat in place, the waters can rise, they can fall, they can go in, they can come out. It doesn't matter. The boat is secure. And in the same way, when we have the security with God in our lives, the tides of life can rise, they can fall. Things can come against us, situations can go pear-shaped and in the end, we'll still be strong, we'll still be standing because we're bolted to something that's greater than ourselves. You know, we're living in a world right now which is out of control, anyone notice? It's crazy out there right now. And you know what? There's immense amounts of change that are going on in our world. I wanna tell you the only way that you can deal with with a constantly changing world is to have a constantly unchanging core. And the only way that you can have an unchanging core is that you have got to be tethered to, attached to and secured to something that never changes. How do you find that in a world that constantly changes? You see so many people look for their security in their job, in their title, in their abilities, in their relationships. All of those things can be shaken. Have you worked that out? You can lose your job. Your relationships can go pear-shaped. I've seen people who've been highly talented, who've had an injury or something, and suddenly they can't do what they once did. And their entire world gets shaken. Why? Because their security was in something that could be shaken. But as Christians, we are called to have our security in something that can never be shaken. And God... And his promises and his word will never be shaky. You want to know something really cool? His opinion of you will never change. His opinion of you. Man, when when God looks at you, man, he loves you. He is so for you. And through everything, we muck up and we screw up and we get it wrong or whatever. But I tell you what, through it all, man, we have a God who loves us, who is for us. And when we get that reality into our hearts, man, something starts to change. I wonder when the church is actually gonna start believing this one. I mean, how many, how many Sundays, guys, have we sat in meetings like this and someone said, you gotta believe the Word of God. I'm like, yeah, yeah, we believe it. And then we go out and we don't do it. You know, we, we sing that, I love that song we sing this morning. It may look like I'm surrounded, but I'm surrounded by you. How many know we don't just sing those songs on Sunday to fill in time, we sing them to get them in our hearts and our spirits so that when we walk out into the world and we feel like we're surrounded, in that moment we say, it may look like I'm surrounded but I know the truth, I am surrounded by you. My security is in something greater than what I'm seeing and and then in just kind of all of the stuff that can be shaken around my life. We have got to embrace God's declaration over our lives, amen? Amen. Okay, so that's the first one. Embrace God's declaration. The second is to hold others in high estimation. We've got to choose to look for and believe the best in other people. You know, in this passage, Hanan totally blew the situation up because he believed the worst of David and not the best. You know, it's so easy to look for the negative, isn't it? You know, someone once said that we judge others by their actions and we judge ourselves by our intentions. Think about that for a moment. We judge others and say, well, they did that to me. But then, if we do something and someone says, hey, that really hurt me, oh, no, no, that's not what I intended. Yeah. We judge ourselves by our intentions. We judge other people by our actions. But you know what? We need to always believe that others want the best for us. We've got to have that as a starting place. And this often for us involves a deliberate and a consistent mind shift. Man, we've got to forgive stuff, we've got to let stuff go, we've got to move on, and we've got to continue to do it regardless of what happens to us in our lives, to be a person who believes the best in others. And why do you want to be a person who believes the best in others? Because you want one day someone to believe the best in you. In a relationship, when something's gone pear-shaped and there's been a breakdown in communication, don't you want the other person to default? To believe in the best in your life, you know, to, to, to know that you haven't got some kind of you know, hidden agenda or something to, to believe the best in you. The only way that we get to have a church and a society and a life that's like that is we've got to start to believe the best in others. We've got to hold others in high estimation. It takes security. We've got to have security in God to be able to start to hold others in high estimation. So we fully embrace God's declaration. We hold others in high estimation. Number three is we foster great communication. Can you see a, pra- uh, a little pattern developing here? We foster great communication. You see, the situation with Hanan blew up because he didn't find out the truth. He simply just believed the lie. His generals all came to him and told a lie. And they weren't scheming. They were just acting out of fear. And in doing so, they didn't bother to find out the truth. And you know what? I mean, if I'd gone up to that guy sitting in our church, and if I talked to him for three seconds, I would have suddenly realized the truth of the situation. I would have realized that he's not sitting there with some weird designs on our poor woman in their pajamas. He just, you know, he thought he was doing up to church. That was the, that was the reality. But I didn't communicate, and so you know, I ended up kind of thinking, you know. And this is the interesting thing: where communication ends is where imagination begins. In our relationships, where we stop communicating with other people, what doesn't happen, you know, we begin to fill those gaps with our imaginations. And the problem is for so many of us, because we haven't done the, fir- the, the previous step of believing the best in others, we tend to believe the worst in others and we tend to fill those gaps with negativity. Oh, they're thinking this. Oh, they hate me. Yeah. Oh, they're not for me. Oh, they're, you know, they're trying to get rid of me. We, we, we get so negative with this stuff and man, we need to, uh, we need to, live, to live securely. We, we can't just imagine what someone else is thinking. We have to have the conversation. We've got to find out. And I want to encourage you, man, if you have got a relationship around your life that you're sitting there and you're just imagining stuff, you're not going to be secure. You're not going to find security in your own life. There's no peace in you when you're busy imagining what's going on for someone else. Sit down and have the conversation. Have the conversation. Foster great communication. And, and uh, you know, it was really interesting. A number of years ago, I had a, a person in my church And um, I was uh, trying to get them on a ministry team because, man, they're really, really good at praying for people and stuff. And I thought, man, why are they, you know, they used to be on one and then they weren't. And so I talked to this person. I said, hey, you know, we'd love to get you back on the ministry team. And anyway, what transpired was that like five years before that, in passing, I'd made a comment to them that I had long since forgotten and that I really didn't think, and I can't even remember even saying it, and certainly was not the, the truth of really how I felt about the person. But anyway, they, they had obviously taken on board. They thought I hated them. And so five, for five years, they had not served in anything or done anything in the church and sat on the outskirts because they honestly believed that I hated them. And I'm like, well, number one, I can't even remember having the conversation. And number two, five years? Five years? You, Man, you could have just, we could have just talked this out. I could have said, look, that's not how I feel about you. And I'm, I'm really sorry if, if I'd said that or if it came across like that because that's not what I meant. Do you know what I mean? But it, it's, it's amazing, isn't it? If we don't foster communication, our minds will go and fill, fill it with stuff. So I want to challenge you today, man. If there's relationships around your life that are, are going a bit pear-shaped at the moment, foster great communication. You know, don't just sit there and, you know, think about it and dream about it and go to your other friends and, you know. Ah, we're so good at that, aren't we? Oh, maybe that just happens in Auckland. <laughs> and then uh, the fourth one here is, which is kind of related, is to have the crucial conversation. You know, there are some times when things go wrong and sometimes we just need to let it go. How many people know actually a lot of times we just need to let things go? Yeah. Yeah. Uh, you know, 90% of the time probably we just need to let stuff go. You know, what I've, what, one thing I've kind of figured out is that there's a difference between a one-off and a pattern, and we don't have to have crucial conversations about every one-off in the world. You know, I mean, just recently, uh, I've got a great member on my team, and um, I texted them because I needed a bit of information, and they sent me back this really terse text, you know, and I got really grumpy about this text, I was just like, that's really rude, that's really raw, they shouldn't send me a text like that, right? But then I stopped and I thought, and I, and I remembered, you know what? I remembered actually that particular week, I knew that they were having the week from Nam. Everything was just on for them that week. They really did not have any space or any time. And you know what? It was not consistent with what usually I would get from that person. You know what? I just decided, you know what? I'm going to let it go. And I'm going to include it in a message in two weeks' time. But, you know. <laughs> Great preaching story. But you know what? It didn't, need a, it didn't need a crucial conversation. I didn't have to sit down and go nine rounds with the person. I could just let it go. It's okay. You know what? Sometimes we just take one for the team. Yeah. We don't have to argue about everything. Oh, they hurt me. You know, you said, you said this thing to me, and now I've got to sit down, and we're going to have a four-hour conversation about this one thing because, you know, this person had a bad day. Sometimes people have bad days. Do you ever have a bad day? Yeah. Do you ever sometimes say something that comes out of your mouth, and even as it's going out, you think, oh, uh, yeah. And it won't go back in. We're all been there. So why don't we just give each other a bit of grace, hey? But then we, sometimes we've got to look for the patterns though because there's a difference between a one-off and a pattern. If it keeps happening again and again and again, then yes, you need to have a crucial conversation. And uh, here's what I've discovered too about crucial conversations. I hate having them. Anyone else? I loathe them. I just, I despise them. You know, um, Mark Twain once said, if you eat a live frog first thing in the morning, you won't have to do anything worse for the rest of the day. And sometimes I've got, I've got crucial conversations that are sitting there like five live frogs, just like sitting there. Anyone else know what I'm talking about? It's like, you know you need to do it, but you're just like, I just don't wanna do it. So here's what I do sometimes. I just literally, I pick up my phone and I dial a person's number. And before I'm even ready, I just press send, go. I throw myself into the conversation. Sometimes I'll just type an email and before I'm even really thought it through, I'm just like, you know, hey, can we catch up? boom. I throw myself into the situation, and I tell myself often, and maybe this might help someone this morning, there's, there's sometimes there's difficult situations, and I say to myself before I go, and I say, you know, Peter, you're not going to enjoy the next half hour of your life, but in half an hour's time, you're going to be really glad that you had the next half hour of your life. Because you know what? When you have those crucial conversations, and sometimes you have them, and then you actually realize that you hadn't been fostering great communication, you've got no idea what's going on in the person's life, Yeah. And so you sit down and you talk it out, but you know what happens afterwards? Peace comes into your life. Security comes into your life. You start to live more securely because you kind of know where things are at now. So foster great communication and have the crucial conversation. And then finally, this morning, move on quick from past frustration. Move on quick from past frustration. I love the story of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego in the fire. Well, I don't love the story of them being in the fire. I love the fact that they met Jesus in the fire, I love the, f- the fact, too, that they came out of the fire, and it's, it's incredible, you know, because it said that their clothes were not burnt up, their hair was not singed, and this is what I love, there was not even the smell of smoke on them, not even the smell of smoke. You know, there's some people that live their entire lives, and you can still smell the smoke on them. You smell the smoke of of the situation that they went through 10 years ago, 15 years ago, whatever. I wonder You know, I'm going to challenge you this morning. How often are you bringing a negative situation that happened five years, 10 years, 15 years ago into your daily conversation? You know, so often when you meet people, I mean, look, it's important to be able to share our story and whatever, but are are you continually taking people back to the pain of that experience? Is that experience defining your life? Is the smoke from that experience still billowing out into your day-to-day existence today? Because I want to say, if that's the case, you need to let it go, friend. You have got to move on from that. And you know what, the, the way that we can do that is we can begin to know and believe the promises of God over our life. And here's the wonderful thing about God. The Bible says that he is the God who was and who is and who is to come. What that means is that the phrase, the best is yet to come, is not just a cute catchphrase to put on a wall or having a church motto. It's actually good theology. Yeah. Yeah. The best in your life is yet to come. When you are tethered with him, the best is yet to come. So you don't have to wallow in the loss of what happened five years ago, ten years ago. That doesn't have to define you. We've got to move on quick because if we hang out around that stuff, it actually undermines our security. Our security is not in not what happened. Our security is in who God says we are and the security and the hope that we've got with him for a great future. Amen. So we've got to move on quick from past Frustration. So fully embrace God's declaration. Hold others in high estimation. Foster great communication. Have the crucial conversation and move on quick from past frustration. If I could just have maybe the worship team or just a, a keyboardist up here this morning. And I loved what we, what we sang uh, at the, at, in, in the worship time this morning. There was a song there that said, Oh, magnify the Lord. You are my strength and my shield, a mighty fortress. You know, and I love singing about that because that's who God is to us. When we get connected with him, our world stops shaking. You know, it's, it's amazing. We can still walk through the storm, but he removes the storm from within us. Sometimes he doesn't get rid of the storm, but he strengthens us in the storm. Thanks so much for listening. We hope it was an encouragement to you. To contact us or to find out what's happening at our church, please check out our website, renewchurch.nz.